0: We have two very important hearings on Thursday in the Trump cases. The Manhattan District Attorney criminal case against Donald Trump regarding the hush money payments, or should we say the original Trump election interference case, big hearing Thursday also in the Fulton County District Attorney uh, criminal case regarding Donald Trump's attack on Fawny Willis uh, and uh, trying to seek her disqualification. We'll talk about what we expect to see there. Also this week, we expect that uh, the New York Attorney General civil fraud case will uh, finally get its verdict from Justice Arthur Ngoron. We expect that to be a Massive, massive verdict in excess of $350 million plus other penalties. will break that down. Also, Donald Trump this week filed an application for a stay of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals ruling affirming what the district court judge did in the federal criminal case that's being prosecuted by special counsel Jack Smith, rejecting Donald Trump's claim of absolute presidential immunity. And finally, it's, of course, silly season, which it is every season, every day with Judge Eileen Cannon. You watch, her docket. It's a total mess, as I've said. Her uh, corruption is matched, if not exceeded by her. Incompetence will break all of this down. I'm Ben Micellis, uh, filling in for Michael Popak, and of course, joined by Karen Friedman Agnifilo, the host of the Midweek Legal AF. Karen, how are you?
1: I'm great. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody. Michael Popock is on his baby moon. He has a little vacation, uh, pre-baby, so it's pretty exciting times. It's all good. How are you? Well, ben? let's
0: just jump right into it, Karen. Let's talk about the two big hearings on Thursday, February 15th, one in the south in Fulton County, one in the north in uh, New York in the Manhattan District attorney case. Two, happening at the same time, it's believed Trump's going to attend the Manhattan District Attorney uh, hearing, um, where, among other things, they're going to talk about uh, the trial date, which is currently scheduled for March 25th. And of course, as we talk later in the show about what's going on with the United States Supreme Court and Donald Trump's application for a stay there after the D.C. Circuit writ wrote a pretty powerful uh, opinion rejecting Trump's absolute immunity. There's, There's a lot of moving pieces right now. So maybe, Karen, you could break down these two big hearings, one in Fulton County, one in Manhattan.
1: Yeah, well, it's really unusual to have two criminal hearings going on at the exact same time with the same defendant in two completely different states and jurisdictions, because criminal cases, unlike civil cases, the defendant, and here that's Donald Trump, usually has to attend in person. It's not like a civil case where it's a choice. So having those uh, two hearings on the same day, he was going to have to make a choice, or at least a judge would would tell him which one he has to attend, and he chose the. One that seems to be going uh, to trial first, the Manhattan DA case with Alvin Bragg. So let's start with that because that's the one that won't be televised nor broadcast audio the way uh, the, the Fannie Willis um, Fulton County, Georgia one will be because the laws in Georgia uh, make it so that those are broadcast live and we will have that broadcast here on Midas Touch where I'm sure uh, lots and lots of people will be watching it live with us and we'll hear commentary afterward. I'm torn because I don't think I'm going to be able to watch it with you, Ben, and Michael Popock and others because I am going to try to get into the hearing in Manhattan since I'm based in New York, and that's my old stomping ground. It's my old office. So I want to attend. I want to see what it's like. I want to be able to uh, give you my impressions of exactly what's going on there. And who's doing what. So I'm going to try to get in. But this is just a standard routine court appearance where it is where the judge is going to rule on the decision. It's his decision on the motion practice. And so this was a, a schedule that Judge Juan Mershon, who's the state court judge overseeing this case, he set this date a long time ago when he set the March 25th trial. And when Trump was arrested, uh, almost a year ago now in Manhattan, and they were kind of working on a schedule. One of the days that they set was February 15th uh, to to see whether or not the March 25th trial date is going to happen. Because if you remember, Ben, uh, there was the um, March 4th or 5th, Tanya Chutkin case, uh, the Washington, D.C. case that was scheduled to go. And so Judge Mershon was going to see, okay, is my case going? Is that case going? So the March date was always tentative to see if that case was going. Now that it looks like it's not going, um, it's been taken off the calendar, I'm fairly confident Judge Mershon is going to uh, keep the trial date as March 25th, and I certainly know from Discussions uh, uh, with people who uh, work in the Manhattan DA's office—not the trial team itself—but others who can see the who can see the team furiously working. They're certainly preparing and acting like they're getting ready. To go, And the fact that Donald Trump is going tomorrow, I think, uh, to the court really makes everyone, it seems like they're going, it seems like it's going March 25th because everyone's taking this very, very seriously. The other thing that's going to happen tomorrow in that courtroom is the judge is going to decide uh, the motions that Donald Trump uh, made, and I'll talk about those in a second, and determine whether there's a, any evidentiary hearings that need to occur before the trial. So that Donald Trump asked for the case, uh, to be dismissed, completely dismissed, because he said a few things. First, that it's, the, it was selective prosecution, uh, he, that, which is going to fail 100% because this is a charge that get, this is a, the falsifying a business record in the first degree that Donald Trump is charged with. It's the bread and butter of New York state white collar practice. It's the same as if you practice federally. They charge mail fraud and wire fraud for, it seems like, everything. It's just this standard charge that, um, that gets charged a lot when people engage in corrupt business practice in New York State. And so so that is not, to, for him to say selective prosecution, frankly, if he did not get prosecuted for what he did, that could be considered a selective prosecution because this is a, a such a common charge and one that is done literally hundreds of times a year across the state. So, so I don't think that is going to fly. The other argument he's making is that the statute of limitations has run because this conduct occurred in 2016 and 2017 at the beginning of his presidency. And there's a five year statute of limitation on felonies in New York, and he wasn't arrested or indicted until 2023. So that's beyond the five years. So he's going to argue that that's beyond the statute of limitations. However, Uh, Judge, uh, I'm sorry, Judge, Governor Andrew Cuomo, who was the governor of the state of New York um, during the pandemic, he pressed pause on the statute of limitations in for all criminal cases for New York because the courts were closed, which meant that that period of time is excluded from the five years. The other thing is. Donald Trump was unavailable to be prosecuted during 4 of those 5 years because he was president so and he was living outside the jurisdiction at that time which is another exception to the tolling of the statute of limitations so he's going to lose that i think summarily as well he's also making a constitutional speedy trial argument that's all that's known as a singer motion or a singer hearing based on uh, based on a court case the um the name of a court case and what that basically says is okay there's a statutory right which is the five years of statute of limitations but there's also a general constitutional right to a speedy trial that you're not supposed to unnecessarily delay like if you were to sit on your hands and do nothing for the for, for four you know four years and 364 days um, you could have brought the case but you decided not to for no good reason and then you bring it on that last day of the statute of limitations um you could one could make an argument that that their constitutional right was was violated there's no good excuse for it and p.s uh because i didn't know that i was because of that time delay a lot of evidence was lost things that i could have preserved and exonerated myself i'm not saying that argument will fly but that's how it that's how the argument would go and and here I think they'll be fine um, in in there as well, because once again, he couldn't be prosecuted uh, while he was, uh, while he was president of the United States. So I think most of, if not all of the arguments are going, are going to be summarily dismissed. And um, I think the case is, is going to go to trial, but that's what I expect to, to happen in New York on uh, tomorrow on Thursday. Anything so, Karen, it?
0: you've been yeah. you've you've you you've been the number two at the Manhattan District Attorney's office. So, you've been at hearings like this. Can you paint the picture for our listeners and viewers about walk us through like what actually happens? You show up. Are they going to go through those motions first? How long does that take? To me, it would seem that. You go through the motions before you go talk about the trial date because you have to, have to rule, you know, get through the dispositive motions. But h- how does that work? Is this going to be a full day hearing? W- walk us through what that's like.
1: This is probably not going to be, be very long. I, I think this will be probably around an hour, maybe an hour and a half at the most, but um, uh, unless something unforeseen happens. Uh, typically what would happen in, in a situation like this is the motion practice is all done on the papers. So Donald Trump filed an omnibus motion, which in New York, you put all of your arguments in one big motion, it's a big omnibus motion. And then the, the government or the people is what we call the Manhattan DA's office or anyone in New York who's a prosecutor, they, they're the people of the state of New York. So the people will reply or respond to the motions. And then, uh, and then the defendant has a right to make, to, to reply to the response. And then there's another, a sir reply. So you can go back and forth on the papers. And usually what happens at, uh, at a court appearance, uh, like this is the judge would read all the papers and then decide, uh, decide on the papers. And, have a written decision that he would hand down that addresses all of these arguments and issues and then adjourn it for hearings on the issues. Because let's say, let's say there are other hearings that Donald Trump, like other defendants, request, whether it's to suppress certain pieces of evidence, whether it's to suppress an identification procedure, whether it's to suppress statements. If if the judge grants those motions, those the case would get adjourned to have a hearing on those motions. He didn't ask for any of that here. Uh, the only hearing they could potentially have has to do with, um, with either speedy trial arguments, or he made another argument about uh, saying that there were leaks to grand jury secrecy because, because. Um because grand jury is secret in New York. So he wants a hearing on that. So typically what the judge will do is he'll rule from the bench on those issues and adjourn for any hearings if he determines that any are necessary. And the reason they adjourn for the hearings is because the government would have to call witnesses uh, and those, because they don't know whether or not these hearings are granted, they wouldn't have had those witnesses teed up so I expect tomorrow, however, that there will be some oral argument on the motions on the part of uh, on the part of Donald Trump and his lawyers that they're going to want to argue each of these issues, and then the prosecutors will reply orally. So I think you're going to see some oral arguments and discussions on that. I think the judge is also going to want to talk about uh, jury selection and um, and jury questionnaires. It's it's going to be a lot of housekeeping that's going to happen tomorrow, where they're going to talk about also, so any hearings that might happen, any rulings on any motions that have been submitted, anything regarding the jury. And and then he will also ask, are the parties going to make any motions in limine? And those are the pre-trial motions that are often made before trial, things like, I want to, I, I, want to, you know, I'm sure Donald Trump is going to say that certain witnesses should be forbidden from testifying or, or their testimony should be limited, or I want to keep certain evidence out of, uh, away from the jury. I, I, you would imagine that the, um, one of the things he's going to want to keep away from the jury is, is the, the Access Hollywood tape, uh, um, you know, that, that, that where he talked about grabbing women's woman's private parts and, and that's going to be something that I'm sure the government's, the prosecutor's going to want to come in, um, because it, it, it shows his, uh, it shows kind of his, um, Willingness to to put himself before others, uh, to to put it lightly, um, he's so he's going to make some arguments that certain pieces of evidence he wants to keep out, and, and then the prosecutor will will make an argument about why those should they, they should be allowed to bring certain pieces of evidence in. So that kind of thing is is also going to be discussed, and potentially uh, a, a schedule will be set for the motions in limine, and then a trial schedule. So it's it's I don't think it's going to be very long.
0: Karen, you expect, though, that March 25, 25th, 25th trial date to be the trial date after this hearing completes?
1: Unless there's been discussions between uh, between the judges. You know, for all we know, Judge Chutkin and Judge Mershon have been communicating, which is is very common. Uh, that they that judges coordinate when you have a defendant that has multiple pending criminal cases. Normally, what the judges will do is they'll coordinate with one another. And unless there's been some discussion among the judges about scheduling and timing, I would expect that that case is going uh, at the end of March.
0: So that's one of the big hearings that's uh, taking place on Thursday, February 15th. Now let's talk about the other case, this one in Fulton County, Georgia. You've been reporting on it, Popak's been reporting it, I've been on been reporting on it here. It started with one of Donald Trump's co-defendants, Michael Roman, filing this motion for disqualification as well as a motion to dismiss against Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis, alleging that she was involved in improper Relationship with one of these special prosecutors or special counsels who are hired as part of her team guys paid like 250 bucks an hour, which is actually under kind of the market for what he would normally be paid. Someone by the name of Nathan Wade, Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis submitted a very robust uh, opposition declarations as well, um, saying that the relationship took place after uh, she began the investigation uh, into Donald Trump. Uh, in any event, Nathan Wade is someone who's supremely qualified, and this has nothing to do with anything that would Adversely, kind of impact the ability of the prosecutors to do their job here. And also that it's kind of just an odd thing in general for criminal defendants to say that they want uh, better prosecutors to go after them, you know, which is kind of odd and, you know, seems that it's more uh, intended to embarrass, uh, humiliate, and just to kind of find some other issue. Um, Judge McAfee. Uh, who's presiding over the case in Fulton County, Georgia, has stated that um, you know some of the breath uh, which the uh, Trump and his co-defendants want to get into is not going to be the subject of this uh, hearing, but that this is a hearing that nonetheless at least needs to take place. There needs to be it needs to be addressed. Um, so. What do you expect? I mean, there's a lot of witnesses who are identified. What do you expect to happen? We are going to be covering it here live on uh, the Minus Touch Network on the on the YouTube channel. But what, what do you expect our viewers to see? And what do you think the outcome is going to be, Karen?
1: So this one, this, this one just irks me because really I don't understand why there's a need for the hearing at this point. There has been an affidavit submitted by Nathan Wade that puts to bed any of the claims that are being made here. And it does seem like it is designed to embarrass and be salacious. And I hope that the judge who thus far has done an excellent job, I think, at, at, Keeping control of the legal issues and of the courtroom, and has really been um, has really been a good judge as judges go. And I hope he I hope he does the same thing at the hearing tomorrow because it, there's really it really isn't relevant whether the relationship is romantic, whether it's sexual. Um, it really makes no sense why any of that is, is really anyone's business. These are two consenting adults who are who have admitted to having a relationship. Um, so but but Judge McAfee has said that it is possible that Fonnie Willis could be disqualified from this case, and he's holding an evidentiary hearing to investigate these claims of a romantic relationship. Um and I, again, I just when you look at the law, uh, it it is unclear exactly what basis the disqualification could be about. So, for example, they could be uh, Fonnie Willis could be disqualified if there's a conflict of interest or the appearance of a conflict of interest. So let's think about what would a conflict of interest. B. So some really, really um, clear examples of what a conflict of interest could be are things like, uh, like if there's a, a romantic relationship between the prosecutor and the defense attorney, for example, that could be a conflict of interest, right? Or between the prosecutor and a judge. Or the pro- that judge, right? Or the uh, the prosecutor and a witness or a juror. You know, those are those could be conflict of interest. But but two people on the same side of the V. You know, where it's it's the the people versus Donald Trump. It, that is that is not a conf- an actual conflict of interest. Um, and so that that kind of makes no sense. One thing that Judge McAfee said is is not on the table that he's not going to allow any discussion of is whether or not uh, Nathan Wade is a is qualified because that's one of the things that Roman's, um, defendant Roman's lawyer, uh, who PS was a big supporter of Nathan Wade's when he ran for office and was even wearing a t-shirt saying she supported Nathan Wade and, and talked about how qualified he is. Suddenly she's now saying he's not qualified. Uh, but the judge said that that is not an issue that is going to be discussed because that's off the table. That's Fonnie Willis in her discretion. As long as he has a bar card, he, she can hire him. So, so it's really looking at are there any conflicts of interest? So, again, when you look at case law in Georgia, you'll you'll see things like uh, defense attorneys or, pro- or I'm sorry, special prosecutors who have worked as. Um, as as a prosecutor on a case, and not by the hour, not getting paid by the hour, but getting paid on what's called a contingency fee, meaning you only get paid if you win. That's a conflict of interest because really a prosecutor has an ethical duty to seek justice, not to win at any cost. But if if your salary or your compensation depends on whether or not you win, then that presents a conflict of interest. Other other um, examples of conflicts of interest are things like if. If Nathan Wade was, when he was a defense attorney, was uh, represented Donald Trump as a defense attorney or one of the defendants as a defense attorney, that you can't then become the prosecutor to somebody that you used to represent as a, a defense attorney. So those are those are some examples of what a conflict would be. So so what would be the conflict here? And he's getting Nathan Wade is getting paid by the hour. Um, he is getting paid the same amount as another special prosecutor is getting paid, which is $250 an hour. And uh, frankly, there, when you look at other cases, in particular, the special prosecutor, hiring a special prosecutor, is apparently very common in Georgia, and it's something that they have done that they do many, 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 many times, much more than we do it in New York. Although we have done it in New York, but it's it's more rare to to get a special prosecutor. It's when there's some kind of conflict, like like if um, at the Manhattan DA's office, we'd have to get a different prosecutor. We'd, we'd we'd send it to another office if say we had to if if an employee of the Manhattan DA's office was uh, arrested for something, right? We wouldn't prosecute that person because there's a conflict of interest or, you know, so there's, there's different reasons why, why you would do that. But in Georgia, this is something that is done, um, is done a lot. And there are records, it's been reported from Georgia, and uh, the office of the attorney general of Georgia that they have in the past engaged hundreds of special prosecutors, uh, and in 2003 alone, 2023 alone, there were hundreds in the state of Georgia. And, um, and 18 of these uh, of these special assistant attorneys general were paid 250 an hour, and some, by the way, made over a thousand dollars an hour. So it's not even a lot of money. Certainly, anyone who practices law in private practice says that's they call that low bono. It's not pro bono or free, but it's not a lot of money. So again, where's the conflict? Um, And so I I think one of the things they're going to argue is that they went on vacation together and there was personal travel and together, but they already, but Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade said that they sometimes he paid, sometimes she paid. I mean, I just don't get how this, there's some kind of incentive here. So I I don't really, it's hard for me to articulate what the issues are because I don't see an issue at all. I see this as potentially an HR question um, about an office romance, but I mean, you know, office romances exist. So I I don't, I don't quite understand uh, what the issue is, but that's, that's what's going to happen at the hearing.
0: Well, look, Donald Trump and his uh, co-defendants or Donald Trump and his civil co-defendants, when we're about to talk about what happened in the New York Attorney General civil fraud case – They try to make it very deeply personal. You know, they're going to go after the wives. They're going to go after the spouses and significant others or the husbands. They're going to go after the children. They're going to go after the law clerks. They're looking for anything to distract and delay and to try to uh, cause an issue. Here's the amended notice of motions hearing. um, And you'll see that the hearing was taking place Thursday, February 15th. 2024 at 9.30 a.m. in courtroom 5A, but you'll all be invited to the Midas Touch courtroom on our YouTube channel. So that is 9.30 a.m. Eastern, 6.30 a.m. Pacific, uh, bright and early for us here on the West Coast. But we're excited to share that with you all live tomorrow. When we come back, Karen, excited to talk about what's happening in the New York Attorney General civil fraud case. What's happening with Donald Trump's application for a stay with the United States Supreme Court of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals ruling from last week, rejecting Trump's claim of absolute presidential immunity. And then we'll get into Judge Eileen Cannon, whatever the heck she's doing, uh, just bizarre, corrupt, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that. Let's take our first quick break.
1: Some New Year's resolutions are destined to fail, like many of mine that I don't wanna share, but trust me when I tell you, I haven't been able to keep them. Lucky for you, here is one that we can all make and will make your life and my life easier and be kinder to the planet, so it's my favorite, Type of product. And it, this will transform the way you do laundry in 2024 if you switch to Earth Breeze. Now, everybody has to do laundry, right? It's something that we all do. But you're all saying it's not fun, which it isn't. Thankfully, Earth Breeze has a product that is no longer going to make you do that. They have eco sheets. They look like dryer sheets, but they're heavily concentrated uh, detergent. And it's just ultra concentrated laundry detergent. It's easy, it's not messy, and all you do is throw the sheet in with your laundry and watch it dissolve in any wash cycle. It could be hot or cold, there's no measuring, no mess, and no wasteful plastic jugs. So every time you use it, you are fighting everyday stains and odors, but also giving you an amazing, amazing clean every time, and you're helping the planet. And it's not messy and gooey the way laundry detergent is. Actually my least favorite part of doing laundry is is, is the detergent detergent part of it. So I love that Breeze is also dermatologist-tested, hypoallergenic, and free of bleach and dyes. So it's perfect for every load. It's good for bedding, for towels, and even delicates. And the best part is you'll never run out of detergent thanks to Earth Breeze's flexible su- subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. So right now, uh, go to earthbreeze.com/legalaf that's earthbreeze b r e e z e.com/legalaf for 40% off your subscription and change the way you do laundry.
2: Ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet for anyone to see? More than you think your name, contact info, social security number, and home address, even information about your family members, all being compiled by data brokers and sold to the highest bidders online. Anyone on the web can get your private details. This can lead to identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. As a podcast host in the high-profile U.S. law and politics space, I've received a bit of every one of these personal data breaches. But now you can join me and protect your privacy with Delete Me. With over 40 million views of my content a month, my personal data and info is searched for not just by our Legal AF audience, but by trolls and bad people with ill intent and I got a family here and abroad to protect. I know that my personal data has been breached in the past and fallen into the wrong hands who don't appreciate our message or want to silence us, including death threats and threats of physical harm. And that's why I personally use Delete.me. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Delete.me is a subscription service that removes your personal info from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete.me with exactly what information you want deleted and their experts take it from there. Delete.me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it and what they removed. Delete.me isn't just a one-time service, Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you don't want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private. By signing up for Delete Me now at a special discount for our listeners today, get twenty percent off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindelete.me.com/legalaf and use promo code legalaf at checkout. The only way to get twenty percent off is to go to joindelete.me.com/legalaf and enter code legalaf at checkout. That's joindelete.me.com/legalaf code legalaf.
0: Welcome back to Legal AF, Ben Mycera, Ben Micellis, Karen Friedman, Agnifilo, Karen. What's going on as well with, um, you know, the, I want to talk about New York. I know there was something else you wanted to discuss.
1: Yeah, you know, it really just irritates me about the Fannie Willis thing. It just gets under my skin because it's just such a ridiculous double standard that we have here for uh, Fannie for Willis, for women, for strong women, uh, women of color. You know, it's just I've seen it a million times. And, and what really irritates me is the irony here, right? You've got Donald Trump who has been who's been found by a jury to have sexually assaulted to have raped E Jean Carroll okay sexually assaulted her there were two other women who testified at that E. Jean Carroll trial, right? That he sexually assaulted them. He brags on an Access Hollywood tape to grabbing women's private parts without their consent. And somehow that is not disqualifying for the highest office, but Fonnie Willis is in a consensual adult relationship with somebody and that there's a hearing happening about this. I think it's atrocious. And I just want to call it out because it really, the, the double standard here is just, is just really appalling. Anyway, we can go. go and And
0: I think what's so important though, too, is the decisions that we make as media networks to cover things and to discuss things fearlessly the way you just did, Karen. And I think it is important to make it very clear that Donald Trump is an adjudicated rapist. Donald Trump is someone who, in addition to being found liable for sexual assault, we have heard Donald Trump on tape Bragging about sexually assaulting women and basically saying that when you're famous, they let you do it. He says, then during the deposition that was taken by Roberta Kaplan, uh, in the federal uh, defamation case against Donald Trump and sexual assault case, one of the things that Donald Trump said is either unfortunately or fortunately, that's the way it's been historically for thousands of, of years. Um, and you, you listen to the types of things that he's, Saying that we hear him saying, um, and you know, we just have to be very direct in calling out that, that conduct and not mince words. But I do think, Karen, that there is an, an increasing part, and I won't make the show into a political one because that's not the, the legal AF side of things, but this is the intersection of law and politics, though. I, I think the American people, mainstream Republicans, Like real conservatives, not the MAGA mutation, independents. I I get the sense that people are really starting to to see it, or are seeing it. It's just important that we all kind of get the the word out. So switching gears to the New York Attorney General uh, civil fraud case, it was uh, reported this week that uh, there will be. Uh, absent, you know, circumstances that, uh, you know, who knows what will happen. Of course, anything could happen when we're dealing with court cases. There is expected to be a verdict on Friday I've heard some people say late Thursday. Um, so I think it's fair to say, you know, at, 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 in the next 48 hours um, or so, there will be a verdict. Uh, just to remind everybody New York Attorney General Letitia James has already won on summary judgment as it relates to the dissolution, uh, the termination of Trump's and the Trump Organization's business certificates. We're now focused on disgorgement as a remedy. Disgorgement means kind of the return of the funds that Donald Trump made inappropriately through his engaging in fraud. That's what disgorgement is, returning it to the state of New York. And there's some also some other remedies as well, including banning Donald Trump from conducting real estate in New York for the rest of his life banning Trump's adult children from conducting real estate in the state of New York for at least five years or for up to five years, Uh, and a more permanent monitorship. There's that independent monitor, Judge Barbara Jones, um, but whether it's retired federal Judge Barbara Jones or somebody like that who would be looking through the books and records of the Trump organization on a much longer term basis with um, kind of interim remedies post-judgment that can keep on being issued. So the New York Attorney General would not have to keep on filing new case, new case, new case. If more fraud is identified, you bring it right to Justice Arthur and Goron, And Justice Arthur and Goron can make rulings relatively quickly, order investigations to happen quickly. Um, and in terms of the disgorgement amount Uh, Letitia James, New York Attorney General, requested uh, $370 million or so. Uh, That does not include the prejudgment interest as well as penalties. If you talk about 9% compounding six-year statute of limitations period, you can see how that could bring the number up to close to half a billion dollars with the interest plus uh, additional penalties. So uh, I'm going to be looking for, for that. Is there going to be additional sanctions against Alina Habba and Trump's lawyers for their conduct? I'm looking for that. But Karen, as, as we get to this point in the conclusion of of this trial, and I want to get your thoughts there, What you expect, I, I, I just was looking back at some of these attacks that Trump made on Justice Arthur Ngoron, the judge presiding over the case. And you know, there's the post he made today, When and he's probably posted close to 300 to 500 things like this, like all in caps, all unhinged, fake, blah, democratic judge, operative, hates me, you know, all this disgusting stuff. It's not even worth, you know, our time be kind of rehashing it anymore. You know, he, he posts, uh, he, he, Donald Trump posts these conspiracy theories about Justice Arthur and Goran's wife. There was someone on Twitter who had a name that was similar to Ngoron's wife or was the same. And then all of these kind of right-wing MAGA conspiracy theorists, the same people who are saying that Taylor Swift rigged the Super Bowl, it's that crew, said that this Twitter account was Engoron's wife because they had the same name. So Trump then attacks Ngoron's wife. You got Donald Trump posting photos of the judge with his shirt off. Um, You got, uh, I think we have... Not that photo salty, although that, that's the photo of Donald Trump. And I, I, I censored it here with, um, attacking Justice Arthur and Goron's law clerk and calling her Schumer's girlfriend. Um, that, that got a gag order against Donald Trump based on that conduct. It was actually the Midas Touch reporting that, uh, that unearthed that, unearthed that. That's from Representative Clay Higgins, one of the MAGA Congress members out there who, uh, put the photo of the hitman from, uh, the godfather next to Ngoron threatening his life. And then there was that photo that you, that you saw where Trump posted uh, Ngoron's uh, body without a shirt on. And then there's posts of Trump uh, posting about Ngoron's son. So, and and we're talking about hundreds of posts like this, Karen. I mean, uh, again, you know, as, as as the former number two with the Manhattan district attorney's office, you know, your illustrious legal career, both in public and now kind of private practice. I mean, the, the, the behavior like this is so unhinged, so lawless. Perhaps you can speak to that first and then kind of your overall views and assessment of, of, of what's going to happen in this case.
1: Yeah. look, like any other defendant, which, and I, I sound like a broken record because I've said this a million times, but I think it's worth saying any other defendant who behaved the way Donald Trump behaves would be locked up, period, full stop. He would be put in jail. You cannot you cannot threaten people. You cannot encourage violence against people. You cannot dox people, which is essentially what he's doing by bringing in other people's family members. You know, there's been enough people who have responded to his clarion calls for violence, not just not, um, I call it 9 11, January 6th, but it's, you know, such a dark, it was the other dark day in our, in our, In our lives, you know, because it almost killed our democracy. Um, But not just January 6th, right? It was, it's, it's how many different people have to be. I mean, wasn't Judge Ngoran had bomb threats and and there was a swatting, you know, during this trial. And, And it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Letitia James or Alvin Bragg or Jack Smith, they all they're all getting death threats. They're all being accused of, her, of um, being racist and all, all the other terrible things that, that Donald Trump says. And his followers, he, he he knows. He said to Caitlin Collins on CNN during that infamous town hall that his listeners uh, and followers, they listened to him like no one else. So he knows, he's aware and he's admitted it. And if he was anybody else, he would be put in. Do you remember Sam Bankman-Fried, who was um, who was the uh, prosecuted here in the Southern District for the fall of FTX, the cryptocurrency? He took one tiny wrong misstep and was going to publish a a letter that um, that that uh, his girlfriend, who's a witness in the case, uh, gave to him. And guess what the judge did? Put him in. He was put in. Until he went to trial, that was it. Because each time, Donald Trump is a criminal defendant in four different cases. That means he ha- was arrested and he was released from being arrested from custody and was released with conditions. And those conditions require him to behave. They require him not to to break the law. And every time. He threatens somebody. It's not just words. These have consequences and actions, and and that's that's how Donald Trump is being treated differently than other defendants. And and at some point, people will stop allowing that. But I, I don't know when or how how that will occur. But I expect that what that what judge Ngoron does hopefully will include some kind of whether it's a restraining order or something that is permanent that allow, that does not allow donald trump to go after his family go after his law clerk um you don't have a first amendment right to do that you don't you know there's there words aren't you can't just say when you say when you say something in words. You can't just say, "Oh, First Amendment, First Amendment." Right? Um, there's 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 hundreds of years of of body of law that that says when it, when it crosses the line into conduct, it's no longer protected by the First Amendment. And and so I think somebody is going to uh, hopefully make him finally stop and maybe that's judge angoran i don't know but uh, you know taking away his businesses in, in manhattan and and potentially half a billion dollars i think that i think he'll hear i think he'll hear that loud and clear and that's going to send a huge message to him so go ahead
0: i was going to say he's going to have to also post a uh, bond equal to the amount of the judgment right or have some collateral and The time's already ticking on the E. Gene Carroll uh, necessity to post a bond if he wants to appeal there. $83.3 million bond to match the um, amount there. And I don't think, I mean, I guess there are some times where a judge could be accommodating when it comes to the type of collateral that could be posted, but where the collateral is fruit of the poisonous tree, which is the actual fraudulent collateral, that's the basis of the lawsuit. I, I, I think that judges who have been attacked the way they have by Donald Trump will um, be less uh, susceptible to uh, finding leniency in arguments about creative forms of collateral. What, what do you think there, Karen? Yeah,
1: I mean, exactly. Why Why would Judge Engoron do anything for him if and and bend over backwards for him when he's done nothing but but torture him and his family? I mean, he's the worst defendant that I've ever seen. Right? He's and and. I've had difficult defendants. I've had very difficult defendants and Donald Trump takes the cake. So he, he's just one of those, he, he's just, he's really doesn't listen. He he thinks the, the world should treat him differently. So I agree with
0: you. And then this ongoing independent monitorship, like I think the headlines are ultimately going to be the verdict amount, 370 million to half a billion dollars. But the, the legal geek in me is very interested, Karen, and in the other remedial kind of measures there. And like one issue, the ongoing independent monitorship, you have someone like a retired federal judge, Barbara Jones, who's been the independent monitor for the past 14 months. She sent this letter to Justice and before the verdict, um, you know, about two weeks ago at this point saying things like, look, my powers don't allow me to do more than flag these issues. But let me tell you, over the past 14 months, I found incomplete, erroneous, um, and inconsistent financial statements. And I've even identified a $48 million loan from some entity Trump claims to be 100% owner of where the money just simply doesn't exist, which you know could potentially even be something as serious as a kind of unlawful debt parking scheme. So with that type of ongoing monitorship, the power there, and I'm not sure if if you've seen this from, from personal practice there in, in, something, in something in New York, but the New York Attorney General would not, as I understand it, be required to have to keep on filing lawsuits that take years. You get the judgment, and then an independent monitor now can go back to court and say, look what I found. Make an order. Look what I found. Make an order. So this isn't the end. You know, this is kind of the beginning of a whole new process. Even after Trump gets hit with this monumental verdict amount.
1: Yeah, I think that's the true power of this, right? Is is he can impose certain conditions on Donald Trump, and there's other defendants, if you recall, um, in the case. So, so let's back up a second and talk about what. Judge N'Goron is going to find and not find on Friday if that's when the decision comes down. So, so he's going to have to make an assessment as to each of the other defendants, including uh, two of his adult children, his sons, who are also defendants. And I think that I think Judge N'Goron might not um, might not find them liable. And the reason is number one, he signaled that he didn't see their intent. But number two, there's I think six or seven charges on that, that he, they were charged with. And count number one is what, what you referred to that, um, this persistent fraud, uh, this persistent business fraud un- in, under the executive law in New York 6312. Judge and Goron already found that, th- that Donald Trump and others violated that. But the rest of the charges have an added element. It's, it's, pers- it's the persistent fraud plus, the elements of certain criminal statutes. Um, and I'm not sure they will have met that burden on as to all the counts or as to all the defendants. And so I think Judge Angoran is going to look at each defendant and each charge and make individual rulings as to each. And, and the good, I mean, first of all, that's what he's obligated to do and that's what a trial is for. And and what I think is, is going to be the added benefit of that is that it, it will sh- it will insulate the judge on appeal because one of really Trump's main argument and what he says all the time, and he said in that tweet that he issued today, was that this is a judge that hates me, he already had his mind made up against me, and and he doesn't listen, and this was just a sham, et cetera, et cetera. If the judge doesn't, if, it, if he makes those individual rulings, and he he doesn't find every single count against every single defendant, that's one way of insulating it that argument because the Court of Appeals will say, no, that's not true. He did listen, and this is what he found. And it also, I think, interestingly, what the fact that those charges are harder to prove than the persistent fraud charge, I think it also highlights why Alvin Bragg, who got a lot of flack for not bringing that case because it was exactly the same case, only a higher burden of proof. It would have had to prove those elements beyond a reasonable doubt. But when you have banks coming in and saying, "We would, we didn't rely on this. We didn't rely on this information. We, d- it didn't matter. We weren't the victims of this." I think I don't think you could have gotten over the beyond a reasonable doubt hurdle. Whether you're going to get over the um, the lower preponderance of the evidence hurdle, I think I think. He will have it. I, I think for sure that some of those will be found, uh, will be found against Donald Trump. But I think the trial really highlighted why Alvin Bragg went with the Stormy Daniels first election interference case rather than than this case because. Because this case require, requires a lot more, um, a lot more. So I think that's what you're going to see with the verdict. I think you're going to see some of the defendants, like some of the kids, it won't be all the charges against all the kids, but I think you're right that the ultimate verdict, because it kind of doesn't matter, um, the judge is going is going to, because the persistent fraud is there, that count one is there, the top charge, you are going to see a sweeping, sweeping verdict that I think will be protected on appeal.
0: Well, look, we could be heading into March where Trump having to post a bond of somewhere near $500, $600 million. Um, And then, as we talked about earlier on the show, that trial date being set in the Manhattan District Attorney criminal case. And there's a world where by the time we approach the summer, Trump is a felon, Trump owes close to half a billion or more in judgments. And I'm sure when we started Legal AF and we Told the legal AFers and the Midas mighty out there that that's where we saw this going, um, and if we said that's what was going to happen, I think we'd probably have a lot of doubters then. But I think it's important that we followed the data like meteorologists follow the weather patterns, and we can have some pretty reliable predictive measures. You know, court is a is a human process; it's not an algorithm though. So sometimes strange things, quirky things happen, but you know we've done our best to try to guide everybody where we think this uh, is, is happening. Speaking of which, when we get back, I want to talk about what's going on in the Washington DC federal criminal case, Donald Trump seeking an application for a, a stay with the United States Supreme Court. He filed that on February 12th, which was that last date that the DC uh, circuit court uh, gave them. We'll talk about that. And special counsel Jack Smith filing, and you and I thought that was going to happen, Karen. Special counsel Jack Smith filing his reply, even though the Supreme Court gave Jack Smith until um,
1: the 20th, six days early. 20th.
0: Yeah, you know, we, we said Jack Smith will file that within 24 to 48 hours. And that's exactly what he did. We'll talk about Jack Smith's response. We'll talk about. Um, uh, Trump's filing, uh, we'll talk about all of that when we come back from uh, our last quick break.
1: January is coming gone, but it's not too late to start your new year's resolution. And no, I'm not talking about getting tangled up in an elliptical or eating some depressing food. Here's one that will stick, which is smelling better thanks to our sponsor, Lumi. You can smell good all year long. Lumi is a game-changing whole body deodorant designed by an OBGYN to work not only under your arms, but also your feet, your private areas, and everywhere else you may get odor. No matter where you use it, Lumi is clinically proven to block odor all day long, all thanks to its one-of-a-kind pH-optimized formula, and they've got over 275,000 five-star reviews to show for it. Make the switch to Lumi, and this year will be all about head-to-toe confidence, no salads required. Special offer for new customers is you get $5 off Lumi Starter Pack with our exclusive code. Use the code LEGALAF at lumideodorant.com. That's L-U-M-E deodorant dot com. And use LEGALAF when you check out. It's safe to use anywhere in your body. It's created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how normal body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated, and it will block odor all day long. It's baking soda-free and paraben-free and pH balance for safe use, safe use below the belt. Use Lumi now. This is Excellent. It's You can get your starter pack. It's perfect for new customers and it'll come with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like a mini body wash and deodorant wipes and free shipping. So get $5 off your Lumi starter pack with code LEGALAF at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your start- starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code LEGALAF. What's more important than sleep? It's the foundation of our mental and physical health, and when you're sleeping well, you can perform at your best in every way. Proper sleep can also increase focus, boost your energy, and improve your mood. Introducing Beam's Dream Powder. It's a science-backed, healthy, hot cocoa for sleep. If you know me, you know that dream has been a game changer for my sleep. Sometimes I find myself up at night in bed with thoughts, uneasiness, going on my phone. Well, that was the case until I started drinking Beam's dream powder. Prior to this dream powder, the poor sleep in late nights, staying up, affected my mood and affected my energy, but not anymore. And today, our listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, their science-backed healthy hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. It's now available in many different delicious flavors. It's really good, like chocolate peanut butter, cinnamon, cocoa, and sea salt caramel with only 15 calories and zero grams of sugar. Better sleep has never tasted better, and other sleep aids can sometimes make you feel groggy the next day, take it from me. I have tried them and they do, but Dream it contains a powerful all-natural blend of reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, and melatonin and nano-CBD to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. The numbers don't lie. In clinical study, 93% of participants reported that Dream helped them get better sleep. Beam Dream is easy to add to your nighttime routine. Just mix it in hot water or milk, froth, and enjoy before bed. Find out why Forbes and New York Times are all talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top athletes and business professionals. If you want to try Beam's best selling dream powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash legalaf and use legalaf as a code at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash legalaf and use legalaf, uh, the code when you check out for up to 40% off.
2: Bond Charge is a holistic wellness brand with a huge range of evidence-based products to optimize your life in every way. Founded on science and inspired by nature, all Bond Charge products adopt ancestral ways of living in our modern day world. Their extensive range of premium wellness products help you sleep better, perform better, have more energy, recover faster, balance hormones, Reduce inflammation, I mean the list is endless. My favorite product from Bond Charge is their infrared sauna blanket. Having a personal infrared sauna blanket, it's a game changer. Now, instead of trying to find out if my local gym has it, I just set it up in a minute in my bathroom or bedroom for an amazing healing treatment in the privacy of my own home. The sauna blanket works by raising heart rate to that of physical exercise, so it burns calories while you relax. You can burn up to 600 calories in just one session. Sweating helps flush out heavy metals and other toxins. And the infrared heat elevates your heart rate while relaxing, which releases endorphins and can leave you feeling euphoric after your session. It works by using infrared light, which heats the body directly, rather than the air around you like a traditional sauna. This means you get the same benefits at a lower heat. And you also don't have to have your head in the heat like a traditional sauna. Enjoy a session for 30 to 40 minutes while relaxing, reading watching TV, meditating, whatever. I've tried other products, but they simply don't work nearly as well as BonCharge. BonCharge infrared sauna is easy to clean up. It heats up quickly. It's super simple to use and the lightweight design makes it perfect. BonCharge ships worldwide in rapid time and has free shipping on every sauna blanket with no hidden costs. And it comes with 12 month warranty. Go to bondcharge.com slash legalaf and use coupon code legalaf to save 15%. That's b o n c h a r g e.com slash legalaf and use coupon code legalaf to save 15%.
0: Welcome back to Legal AF. And Karen, obviously, big news earlier in the day as well when special counsel Jack Smith uh, filed his reply early. The Supreme Court gave special counsel Jack Smith until. February 20th to respond to Donald Trump's application for a stay, just so everybody knows what we're talking about here. A stay would be kind of a continuing pause of the district court's proceedings in the federal criminal case involving Donald Trump's attempt to overthrow the results of the uh, 2020 election and Donald Trump's conduct relating to the January 6th insurrection. Uh, Donald Trump asserted absolute presidential immunity in emotion to to dismiss. The federal judge, Tanya Chutkin, denied that in early December. Donald Trump filed an interlocutory appeal, meaning in the middle of the proceedings, not once a final verdict was reached, which he was – potentially he was allowed to do. There were some issues about whether an interlocutory appeal was proper or not, but ultimately the D.C. Circuit found that the interlocutory appeal was proper. That stays the proceedings before the Washington, D.C. federal criminal case, meaning all of the things there have been paused. Last week we got the ruling by the Washington, uh, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals uh, also rejecting Donald Trump's claim of absolute presidential immunity, affirming the district court's uh, ruling. Uh, and one of the important things that was done in the judgment that was issued by the DC Circuit Court of Appeals is they gave Donald Trump only until February 12th to file an application for stay before the United States Supreme Court. Donald Trump filed that application for a stay on February 12th, which has continued the pause in the federal criminal case before federal judge Tanya Chutkin. Um, the Supreme Court then gave Jack Smith until February 20th to file. LA response. Jack Smith filed it within 48 hours of getting that uh, directive, which is exactly what we expected here on Legal AF and the Midas Touch Network. And Special Counsel Jack Smith is, of course, um, opposing any stay. And in fact, Special Counsel Jack Smith here is signaling that he will also be opposing Donald Trump's uh, petition for certiorari. And what Jack Smith is saying is, look, yeah, we as the Department of Justice may have went to the Supreme Court before and asked you on an emergency basis to issue a ruling um, on the issue of absolute presidential immunity. You denied that. Then in the interim, the DC Circuit Court of Appeals made their ruling, which is bulletproof and explains all of the reasons why at this point you don't even need to hear a petition for certiorari, meaning you don't even need to hear an appeal at all. So why would you need to uh, grant a stay? You should just kick the case back to Federal Judge Tanya Chutkin and let Judge Chutkin continue with the proceedings. But if you do want to have a stay, which we think you shouldn't do, you should be ready to make a ruling this term so we can go to trial. Jack Smith doesn't specifically say this summer, but basically that's what he's kind of intimating, that we can get to trial very, very, uh, very soon. And so I thought that was an interesting response. And Karen, when we're dealing with this application for a stay, it requires five of the justices to vote in favor of the stay. For certiorari, it requires four justices. So the stay comes first but it requires one extra justice than certiorari, which means that they will agree to hear the appeal, not that they're granting Trump's request to actually find absolute immunity, but to actually hear the issue. So there's that extra kind of hurdle. And then there's oral argument, the type you heard with the 14th Amendment Section 3 case, just to give the legal standard when it comes to uh, a motion or an application for a stay like this, um, it requires that there be... Um, a, a fair probability that there be a reversal, uh, it requires a likelihood that the that there would be a grant of certiorari, meaning a grant to eventually hear the appeal. Irreparable harm to the person seeking to continue the stay. Donald Trump argues the irreparable harm is that he wouldn't be given, uh, you know, any immunity. And then there's kind of a balancing of the equities test here. And Jack Smith says when you balance the equities and when you look at uh, um, the probability of of reversal, um, it's it's he's not going to get reversed. That's a foolproof, uh, it's foolproof decision, bulletproof decision by the D.C. Circuit. Karen, what do you make of that?
1: Yeah, look. So Jack Smith filed the six days early, right? He had till the twentieth. That that tells you right now he's in a rush. He doesn't. He wants to go, and he specifically says uh, that he if you think that you are considering taking this, let's have an argument in March of twenty twenty four. Let's have an argument next month so that we can still have an early trial. So what he he what he's really doing is is spelling out the law, the legal hurdle that. Trump would have to show for this case to be stayed, and if they choose to hear it, then then do it quickly so we can still have a trial before the election. Because the equities here and the public interest here is that the that there be a verdict that the public has a right to hear the evidence. It's not just the defendant who gets a speedy trial right, but it's the public as well. And so I think I think um, this was probably written. Already, because this was so predictable that Donald Trump was going to ask for a stay, so I'm sure Jack Smith um, had this largely written already uh, to oppose the stay. And and the problem with the stay is it doesn't just pause the trial; it pauses all the pretrial motion practice. And and like we're seeing happening tomorrow in Alvin Bragg's court, in the you know Alvin Bragg's case, Juan Merchan's courtroom in Manhattan, there's Pre-trial litigation that happens before any trial. There's discovery that gets turned over. There's motion practice that happens. So, there's lots of housekeeping and substantive things that happen before a trial. None of that can happen while the case is stayed and while it's on appeal. And so, even if this gets resolved and it gets sent back down to Judge Chutkin, she still has to give the parties time to do those pretrial um things that would have to happen in this case and and the thing that jack smith is doing by both his words and his action is really uh emphasizing the need for this to happen quickly uh, but so you know look he's he also knows that the the longer the the further out this goes the more trump will accuse this of interfering with the presidential election and so the sooner this happens the better and Jack Smith is absolutely clearly signaling to the Supreme court and look, he did this before. If you remember when, when he, um, he, he went, he tried to, he tried to leapfrog the DC circuit and go straight to the Supreme court and there he was like, because this is so important and has to go quickly. And so they saw that they, they denied it, but, but they know how, how much time is of the essence. And, and so, so Jack Smith isn't going to wait a day because because we're playing a game of inches here, because every day that this gets pushed out further is a day that it could potentially get too close to the election and not be able to proceed. You
0: know, as you go deeper into the filing, you get to page 36, 37. One of the things that Jack Smith says is, look, you shouldn't even need to hear this On certiorari. You don't even need to. You previously denied it when we requested you hear it. We now see what the DC Circuit did. You don't need to hear it, Supreme Court. But look, I get that we kind of made this request that you hear it before. So we can see that maybe, you know, you may take the fact that we've asked you before as a way that we feel that you should hear this for oral argument. So if you do, let's not have, we don't need a whole briefing schedule here on whether or not certiorari should be granted. Just convert this into a writ of certiorari, meaning the request that you hear it, and then quickly schedule dates for oral argument, and it's a brilliant move by jack smith and look what you did and jack smith says look what you did in the 14th amendment section 3 trump the anderson case that's the case involving the colorado supreme court disqualification the oral argument uh, that we heard earlier last week and jack smith said look from january 6th whenever you issued the order to like you know, you know, February, you know, early February, you move quick there. Just do that here. Set oral argument, you know, basically sometime in March, we'll be ready to go. Um, so smart move in the alternative, just set oral argument on the underlying appeal. We shouldn't have to go through all of these other steps, knowing that all Trump's going to want to do here is delay, delay, delay. And Karen, we see that delay, delay, delay tactic with Judge Eileen Cannon, right? And, you know, when you give Donald Trump everything he asks for, you your docket looks like Judge Eileen Cannon. I mean, it's like the messiest, sloppiest, corrupt, incompetent—you know, you know—strangest uh, thing I've, I've I've seen. I mean, I'll just show you this recent paperless order from from yesterday, which was a paperless order clarifying SEPA. Section 4 hearing for February thirteenth, 2024, starting at 10.30 a.m., the court will conduct a sealed hearing with the special counsel and cleared counsel for defendants Nauta and De Oliveira. Cleared counsel shall be prepared to discuss the classified information produced in classified discovery in the context of the, quote, relevant and helpful standard, end quote, and the mens rea applicable to counts 33 to 37 and 39 to 42, and the superseding indictment to present argument on the special counsel's request to withhold all the information from defendants Nauta and De Oliveira pursuant to CIPA Section 4 and to discuss specifics with respect to the current figures of materials produced and classified discovery, including whether any of that information overlaps with unclassified discovery and or merits clarification. The hearing will be held in a facility suitable for the discussion of classified information. Defendants Nauta and De Oliveira may not be present. Defendant Trump is not required to appear. Counsel for defendant Trump may attend. Final CIPA section four ex parte session with the special counsel to follow the 1030 AM session. I mean, Karen, like, Like one session, another session, like this isn't like a job interview, like SEPA Section 4, Classified Information Procedures Act Section 4. This is a fairly routine thing that takes place in Classified Information Procedure Act cases. What what, what we're showing you right there is a prior order that she made setting like a pre-hearing SEPA hearing Section 4 on January 31st, 1st. Then she said another one for February 12th, then another one for February 13th. And Karen, it's just like when you're dealing with Classified Information Procedure Act, SIPA Section 4, the issue is the government wants to hold certain uh, classified information and substitute it with something. The government shows up. They show the judge. The judge goes, "Okay, you can keep it secret. Because it's not relevant and helpful, but maybe do a substitution, you know, so that they, so that the defense can have the material, or the judge says, turn it over. You make a ruling, and then if you don't like the ruling and you're the government, you have an automatic appeal to the Eleventh Circuit. Like it's that simple. It's 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 that simple, that easy. But she's making a mess. pre a pre pre-hear, hearing, sepa to a pre pre hearing to a pre pre hearing, and it's like she doesn't know what she's doing you know, I don't like that she met with Trump and Trump's lawyers like first and alone with them on February 12th. Um, And there's a lot of issues there too. What about the attorney's eyes only documents how do the lawyers separate that when their clients in the in the room, you know, with with Donald Trump? Was there a classified information security officer present in that room as well when Trump was there? So th- these were a lot of questions that I had. Ultimately, Special Counsel Jack Smith, I think, is teeing up his appeal before the Eleventh Circuit on some of these other, you know, final, you know, bad rulings when when Judge Cannon had to finally make rulings about like removing redactions from. Uh, witness, uh, government witnesses, and other kind of confidential government lists and government uh, witness interviews that are all supposed to be confidential. So Jack Smith has positioned this the right way there, but I'm I, it, it continues to be so mind boggling just how how poor this uh, her she is on the bench and how it's just a kind of a, a perfect storm of corruption met by incompetence.
1: Uh, It's shocking, actually. I mean, she is absolutely, you know, first people were saying, oh, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's a green new judge. Um, But it is clear she is in no hurry (laughs) to get this, to have this case. On the one hand, she's so dishonest, right? Because on the one hand, in May, the case is still scheduled to go to trial, yet there is nothing that she's doing to keep it on schedule and to make it so that it would go in May, so I don't know why she won't just do what Judge Chutkin did, which is remove the trial March fourth from the calendar when she knew it wasn't happening, because that's what you do when you know something is not happening. And but she won't. Judge Cannon won't do it. But just the just the amount of time that she gave for this hearing from when these filings were, it was mu- it was like. Over a month. And, and why does, she, why is she dragging things on? Right. Why is she dragging things along? Why is this taking so long? And um, why does she summarily keep denying the things that Jack Smith is asking for? And he's asking for things that involve our national security. It involves also, it involves witnesses and witnesses' lives and people protection. And she, it's like she's just absolutely rules against the government or uh, that's her sort of initial, her her initial gut. And, um, and then she, and then she, um, and and she, and she does this, these things for Donald Trump, it seems like she's helping him. And like I said, if anything, she is helping him uh, delay the case, which is exactly what, is exactly what Donald Trump wants, right? That's what, that's what, that's what he wants is a delay. That's how he wins because he can't win substantively in this case. There's just no way because he's guilty ten ways to Sunday. But but he wants to win by never having to be, face any accountability. And, and Jack Smith is smart, right? He's been he's been citing Judge Cannon to Judge Cannon in the motions, right? Cases she worked on when she was a prosecutor to kind of remind her judge. This is how you've ruled in other cases when you weren't ruling, or this is how the argument that you made when you were a prosecutor in another case, um, that is that, that supports the position that we're bringing. So be intellectually honest. You know, this is something that you yourself worked on and, and argued and it's the law. And so I don't know. It's, it's just, I I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen, um, I've never seen a federal judge that you know. Judges, the thing is, I revere the institution of, of courts and judges, as do you. And judges have always been the ones who rise above the advocates, right? You've got you've got you've got um, two two different sides who are who are who are each advocating for their own position, and the judge is supposed to rise above that and 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 really do the right thing. And and in this particular case, it just doesn't seem like the right thing is happening, and it's just very frustrating because this case doesn't seem like it's going to go before the election.
0: Yes, and I'll say this, though. It definitely isn't going to go before the election, but I think one of the good things, though, is that Trump has the worst instincts. Trump has the instincts of a perennial lifelong loser. The same way he thinks it's a winning issue for him and the Republican party to scuttle a border deal so he could whine about it. I think we saw in New York that being, you know, rejected and, you know, whining and crying and complaining about problems when there are solutions is actually who guessed it? Not a winning solution. The ultimate irony of this all, Karen, is that um, the better strategy for Trump, and it's you know, it's too late now, so I'm not giving him you know any any secrets or anything, and giving him a roadmap, you know, would have been to go full speed, I think, on the trial in front of Judge Cannon, and had her you know basically do all of the corrupt machinations once there was a jury selection process, and then try to you know. That that's maybe, you know, with Judge Cannon, the only possible case you could win only because of Judge Cannon's corruption. If you're gonna take your shot anywhere, you take it before the judge who's, you know, your stooge. (laughs) And rather than doing that, he's continued to delay everything there. Remember early on, Judge Cannon found in favor of Trump to allow this delay. So that allowed all of the other cases, you know, say for Fulton County, Georgia, to really get in there in prime position before Judge Eileen Cannon and take priority in these other cases that, you know, that we're we're starting to see. So ultimately, I think it was a real big strategic blunder as well But, um, you know, I I think that's actually good for justice. I want to see the DC case go first. I want to see the Manhattan district attorney case to go first. And because the Manhattan DA criminal case is a pretty finite document based case, that's a shorter one to try. So you can now potentially squeeze in Manhattan and DC federal. By this summer and have Trump convicted in two separate felony cases, two separate felony cases on multiple felony counts by the time we finish this summer. So to me, that's good news. Karen, let me give you the final word of the show.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you um, that the Alvin Bragg case is very straightforward. It's mostly documents, but I think it's probably a four to five week trial um, plus jury selection, depending on um, depending on how long the cross examinations are and stuff like that. But it, that shouldn't go on past that. So I agree with you. It, you could have two trials by the time the election in November, and whatever the verdict is, would however it comes out. I do think the American people have a right to have a jury of. Of Donald Trump's peers chosen by Donald Trump, right? Because right now there's so much politics in there, there's so many accusations in there, there's so much Donald Trump acute says Joe Biden is 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 doing all these things, even though it's not true, but it's it's all gotten so political. But when you have a trial and you go to court, that's where all politics goes out the door. There's no place in a court of law for anything political. It's just relevant admissible facts and evidence that comes in and it is a jury of your peers that decides. This is this is a jury that Donald Trump gets to pick. Both sides have to agree on the jurors. Both sides have an opportunity to knock people off the jury. So the 12 men and women who are going to be sitting on the jury that are judging him criminally. They're the ones who are going to look at the witnesses in the eye, evaluate the evidence, and determine whether the prosecution has met their burden beyond a reasonable doubt as to each and every element of the crime. And so when that happens, and if he's convicted, that is convicted by a jury he chose, and it's a jury of his peers, the same standard that's in every courtroom across the United States of America. So if that occurs, he can no longer say this is a witch hunt. It's a persecution or anything else because it's not Alvin Bragg who's who's going to find him guilty. It's not Eileen Cannon. It's not Judge Chutkin. It's not Letitia James. It's not any of those people. It is 12 jurors who will, who will have spoken one way or the other.
0: Karen, thanks for letting me co-host this midweek edition with you of Legal AF. It's always an honor to do this with you and to fill in in the shoes of Michael Popak. I want to wish everybody watching a happy Valentine's Day. I want to give a special Valentine's Day wishes to my fiance Sochi. Happy Valentine's Day and happy Valentine's Day to all the legal AFers out there. You were part of this pro-democracy family. We are grateful for you and you are in our thoughts. Thank you so much. I want to wish everybody a great day, great night. Um, I
1: love your your romantic. You say, Karen, what are your last words? And I'm like, oh, you know, whatever. And you're like, happy Valentine's Day to my fiance. You're so cute. (laughs) Okay, okay. that's,
0: (laughs) That's where, you know, when the plaintiff gets the... First closing, and then the defense goes, and then the plaintiff can kind of just, you know, w- w- win over the jury. You know, that's the, uh, the that's the game plan there. Thank you, everybody, for watching. But 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 for real, Karen, myself, Michael Popak, the whole Legal AF family, and everybody here at the Midas Touch Network is so grateful for you. You inspire us. Thank you so much, and a shout out to the Midas. Mike.